Phoebe. I'm Clancy. And I'm Damien. You might be asking, what do two Aussies and a POM have in common? Quite a lot, actually. For starters, Her Majesty has her face on all our currencies. Even the coins. There's a great Union Jack floating around some flags as well. And we speak the same language, sort of. Somehow. Allegedly. Have we love winding each other up? What are we doing here then? Winding you up. But anyway, on this show we discuss current Australian politics. We take a look at past events. While on a mission to ensure the Governor General stays in their job. What? I didn't sign up for this. What? It's in the show's name, Phoebe. Welcome to Let's Save the Governor General. No, I don't want to. Kick him out. What about her? Or her. No, let's <laughs> just not have a governor general. Let's have a republic. With who is, pre- <laughs> with who is president? Not ScoMo. President ScoMo. President ScoMo. No, President Julia Gillard. President Craig Kelly. Gillard Politics Podcast. Let's save the governor general. The governor general. Are we? Tasmania's most favourite pop. Political podcast. I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say we are anyway. I'm just going to say we are anyway. That's uh, have you got like... some numbers? Hell no! Here's what I would say it's unofficially we are Michigan's most famous Australian podcast. Oh, fair enough. Bingo! There we go. We are we're hitting we're hitting the heights. We're hitting the heights. Uh, Clancy, how are you feeling? You've had some. Uh, Look, you've I'm had some all right. I've had some renovations. So yeah, since the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had um, some renovations. I've had my um, basement that was never used or occupied and associated um, extensions removed. In other words, I had my, my womb, my cervix, my ovaries and my fallopian tubes taken out. I am now a wombless, a wombless person. Just think, you can now be subject to the same attacks from transphobes and bigots that I am. Yeah, look, finally, I am a woman without a womb. We can be a podcast uterus free. <laughs> we are womb free. So, and, um, and it's not all bollocks either. I am so free of bollocks all... and wombs. Clancy, you, you're, 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 you're about to say. Clancy, you're about to say. Two and a half weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, my re- look, my recovery was actually pretty good. I I shared a room. So shortly after I came back from theatre, the nurses told me that there was going to be a, another woman in my two bed room. Mm-hmm. What did you watch in theatre? My dreams. I don't even get a sound effect for that. I don't even. Thank you. I had some very I had some very pleasant dreams. Thank you very much. So, yes, I returned from theatre and they told me that I was going to be sharing my room and consequently about midnight I had um, a lovely woman, slightly older than me, who um, got moved in there and she she was actually a potter from down at Southport, right down the southern tip of Tasmania. Okay. And she'd had an accident with a, um, a lawnmower. So she'd been mowing her lawn and yeah. hit a rock and the blade had snapped off and oh, hit her geez. in the foot. Oh, oh, and it actually oh. cut through her foot. <laughs> and she'd only just recovered from eight weeks previously to fracturing her other ankle. So she'd only just gotten out of the camber, decided to mow her lawn, this had happened. And this had happened a few weeks beforehand and 
Uh, ten, oh. No, 10 days beforehand. Anyway, so they, she'd gone to the hospital. She'd waited at the hospital. They cleaned the wound out. They'd sewed it up and then she'd represented with an infection in the wound and it turned out that the the blade had actually cut through one of her bones and they hadn't actually diagnosed that. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. So they had to open the whole thing up and clean it out and all this sort of thing. So I'm giving this woman all this comfort about how she was going to be okay and, you know, who to contact to give her treatment and stuff like that. It was quite, it was actually quite funny. Anyway, she was lovely. And then um, I came home. So that was Wednesday and I came home on the Friday. Mm-hmm. And, um, look, I actually feel fine. I went out on the Friday night. Hitting the clubs. Hit, well, Why? You, you were like, painting the town red, weren't you? Well, almost. I was drinking gin already and eating oysters, but, you know, I wasn't painting anything. And then I got my results back. The pathology came back on the Wednesday and my surgeon rang me on the Thursday and said mm-hmm. that there'd been some cancerous cells detected in one of my ovaries. Yeah. They thought it was early stages, so it's only um, grade one carcinoma, but they sent off some more tests to Melbourne to make sure that there was nothing else going on and he'd refer me to an oncologist. So the... Following Wednesday, so last Wednesday, I went and saw the oncologist and he told me that um, they were pretty sure that it hadn't spread anywhere else, but they were still waiting for the tests to come back. So I went and had uh, a CT scan on Friday and then tomorrow Uh my oncologist and the rest of the team are getting meet up and discuss. And discuss you? Yep. So discuss the, the CT scan and the pathology mm-hmm. results, see whether or not they think that it's spread anywhere, whether or need any follow-up treatment, um, and then hopefully he'll feedback to me mid-next week. So Wednesday, I think, is the plan. Okay. Well, uh, thoughts and prayers for you, Clancy. But, yes, before I forget, my wife and I, my wife said to send on my regards to you, Clancy. Oh, thank you. Say, say thank you to us. Lots of regards from the outside of the world as well, Clancy. Thank you. Um, yes. Well, so I'm, I'm actually I've got one more week off work. Mm, yep. Um, and then I'm back to work Monday week. So hopefully everything's okay. I look, I actually feel fine. Good. My my recovery has actually been pretty good. I've had a couple of episodes of low blood pressure and stuff like that, and I've just been taking. Probably too easy. Is this the most strenuous thing you will have done? This, this is this show the most strenuous thing you will have done? <laughs> yes, Phoebe. Well, well speak, speaking of which, Phoebe, you've met both of our partners on camera. We, we would, wouldn't, I, well, I for one wouldn't mind meeting um, yours at some stage when she feels comfortable. Yeah, where's Mrs. Rose? Well, when she feels comfortable, I shall have her wander into the background. At the moment, she's far of recording of this six minutes past five a.m eastern standard time <laughs> yes you're so dedicated that's why that's why you're hitting the porridge there you thank you thank you for getting up early and Clancy. thank you for staying up late uh someone who's had some late nights are the team over at optus uh let's let's hit the uh, let's hit the news reports 
Well, this week, Optus will face a grilling over the major outage that left millions without coverage for up to 14 hours. The telco giant's chief executive is set to appear before a Senate inquiry in the chair of the inquiry. Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young joins us now from Canberra. You ready? You set, Sarah? <laughs> well, I can tell you what, I've, um, I'm making sure my access to my phone and internet is not with Optus for Friday. Um, making sure that we've got all connectivity and that the information is going to be flowing. Carl, I think this is an important process because so many Australians were impacted by uh, the outage and for far too long, for hours, they didn't even hear from uh, yeah. the CEO of Optus about what was going on. People. So, yes, what, ha what did happen is that I think a week and a half ago, as of time of recording... Well, it was actually the day that I went into my uh, in for my hospital appointment. It was the 8th of November. There you go. That was, uh, was it there. And, yeah, so basically uh, Australia woke up one morning to find that almost all Optus services have been cut, landlines, NBN, internet, mobile phones in particular as well. So basically uh, what had happened was that a software upgrade on one of the Telstra, uh, sorry, one of the Optus routers in their, in their data centres uh, kind of stuffed things up. And so what it did was it overloaded the Optus routers with too much traffic. And you may hear the letters BGP. BGP means Border Gateway Protocol. And it's basically a series of communication protocols that when a message leaves one network and goes into another, how does the second network handle the traffic from the first network? And essentially, um, the network got overloaded because the network because the network got overloaded. It shut itself down. When it shut itself down, it kind of shut everything else down as well, including the phone of the CEO who had to use WhatsApp to call into ABC Radio to tell uh, to tell people what was going on. The Optus technicians had no coverage, so when they were in the data centres trying to work out what was going on, they had no way of communicating with the head office. And, yeah, and apparently about 200 triple zero calls uh, were just didn't get through. Oh, wow. That, that, you, see, that, you see, that's a government issue because the government really should have redundancy for that. Um, apparently, the Telstra, the Telstra CEO carries SIM cards of other carriers, but for some reason, the Optus CEO decided not. <laughs> I, I don't need to do that, you know. Optus will, uh, no. Op Optus will never go down. No, so um, yes. Yeah, so in it's like, like in saying BP will never fail. Exactly. So in light of that, uh, Kelly Bayer Rosmarin has uh, decided to step down as CEO of Optus. And there is talk that our favourite Liberal Premier of the last 20 years may step up to be the CEO, the new CEO. Ah, yes, Virginian. Now, here's the real question. I, I hate to say this, but did she sleep her way to that position? Ah. Uh... Oh, that's, that's, that's sexist of you. Yeah. No, I would have said that about a man that had had an affair that was forced out because she lied about because he lied about the affair. I'm sorry, that's a Berejiklian too far. Oh, <laughs> oh, now, now we're uh, yes, it's below the belt, quite, quite literally. For anybody that wants to complain about my 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 sexism towards Gladys Berejiklian, know this: she did have an affair, and it did force her out of office, and she did cover it up. 
It was. So for about 12 hours, roughly yeah. about 12 hours uh, on that particular Wednesday, um, yeah, uh, uh, most of Australia, well, I was going to say most of but yeah, lots of people in Australia had no mobile coverage. I don't know about you, Clancy, but the hospital that I work at was mostly on Optus, and that was a hella awful day. Well, so this was the interesting thing because, yes, I'd, I went into hospital that day for my operation and my mobile phone is with a Mason, which is on the Optus network, which meant that I couldn't communicate with my partner to let him know how I was going. But the hospital that I was in was on the Telstra network and I was able to actually connect to their Wi-Fi and consequently I was able to communicate with my partner. So that was that was lucky, I guess. But, yeah, it was um, most, most of the uh, health system here in Tassie is with Telstra. So they didn't get too negatively impacted. Okay, fair enough. So you can see on the screen here, there was, there is actually the ABC actually do have a a blow by blow, you know, timeline of what happened. And from four AM on the eighth of November, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, and it's just, yeah, it's interesting. So thankfully, it wasn't a cyber attack. But the the thing that scares me as someone who works in the IT field is that if someone wanted to knock out half of Australia's telecommunications facilities, all they need to do is create a software packet that causes the telecom routers to overload themselves. And hey, presto, we go. Well, it, it, look, that's a yeah. really good point because it shows how vulnerable we are and everything is now dependent on having internet access and mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. just basic telephone communications are often VOIP now. So it's, yes. yep. it's, it's, it's pretty much, you know, if you're not on the internet, you cannot communicate. So it does. It does. It shows how vulnerable most organisations are now to having that happen. Yep. So anyway, um, the whoever the new CEO of uh, Optus is, we, we we wish them luck because they are still reeling from the cybersecurity uh, incident that happened last year, where you know about two million people had their um, had their details stolen. So that was a. Weren't you one of those? Aren't you one of those lucky people? I was indeed, yes. You were very lucky to be included in that. It does amaze me, though, with these companies mm-hmm. that in today's world of heightened cyber awareness mm-hmm. and infrastructure robustness, yes, I have just used buzzwords that probably don't mean much to some people, but there are countries out there that don't particularly like the lot of us. No. I'm thinking your North Koreas of this world. Or your Chinas or your Russias or... Or your Turkmenistans, for example. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're going to be rubbing their hands together going, look, we can take down a whole country and create havoc. Mm-hmm. I-, I would feel, I, th- I think mostly though, it would be more people trying to profit off of uh, monetarily rather than intellectually. Ransomware nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. Yes, exactly, exactly. Anyway, uh, speaking of ransom and ransomware, <laughs> this is the worst segue ever. Let's head over to Britain because what happened in Britain is kind of tied to what's happened in Australia with our own high court. So in Britain, unlawful 
Supreme Court rules against UK plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. Britain's Supreme Court ruled on Wednesday that the government's contentious plan to send some asylum seekers on a one-way trip to Rwanda was illegal, striking a major blow to Rishi Sunak's government. So, uh, and you mentioned that the Home Minister had also been, uh, the Home Secretary had also been. Yes. But that was, but this wasn't why she was given the boot, though. The reason she was given the boot, though, wasn't about her comments regarding protests. The reason she was given the boot, she said the following. Homelessness is a lifestyle choice. Those were her exact words. She said, for some people, homelessness is a lifestyle choice, and they choose to live in tents, cluttering up our cities, making us look like San Francisco or Los Angeles. That's a bit reminiscent of a certain Prime Minister of ours that said that um, Aboriginal people living in remote communities was a lifestyle choice. And it is interesting that after Prime Minister Abbott left his job, lost his job here, mm. that he went over to England and not, not long after he went to England, they implemented a form of uh, one-way detention to a third-party country. Funny that. So the thing that amazes me, the thing that amazes me here is that, just to give some more background on this, the current government of the United Kingdom is a very, very right-wing government. Mm -hmm. I mean, Australia, think Palmer United meets um, One Nation. (laughs) That's the level of right-wing that we're talking here. We're talking isolationism, anti-immigrant, anti-minority, anti-LGBT, anti-disability, anti-unemployed, anti-union, etc. Anti-everything. Just also to carry on is that this is the same government that ex- that did Brexit as well. Yes, the same government that did Brexit and the same government that has made protest very difficult in the UK and has made going on strike incredibly difficult in the UK. To go on strike in the UK, you have to have 50% of all of your members vote in favour of it. So you mm-hmm, have to have, mm-hmm. so it's called the 50-50 rule. So you have to have 50% in favour of 50% of the members. And if you're in a public service, like trains, post, etc., there's what's known as minimum service requirements, which means that the service keeps running. Oh, okay. So it's not really... Okay, that is uh, that is interesting. I did not know that. That is interesting. So anyway, so what happened was uh, some years back when Boris Johnson was still Prime Minister of your fair, your former fair country there, uh, Phoebe, uh, he implemented a plan that any as- uh, asylum seekers would be sent to Rwanda instead. Yes. And this has been rumbling on and rumbling on and rumbling on because it's not that they get sent to Rwanda, their claim is processed, and they come back to Britain. No. It's no. And it's not like they landed in Rwanda first. They have landed in the UK, been Mm -hmm. taken to an airport, shoved on a plane. That's as far as they got. Because the courts went, no, you can't do that. Okay, so just to confirm, did anyone actually get sent to Rwanda? Nobody. Nobody has been sent to Rwanda. They came very close. They came very close. Yes. But the European Court of Human Rights stepped in and went, no, you can't do that. Yes, I, I, I vaguely remember. 
and then the UK Supreme Court has stepped in in this case and gone, no, you can't do that. And now what Rishi Sunak is doing is he is using the language of fascism, foreign courts um, against the will of the people to thwart the democratically elected government. But the UK Supreme Court is not a foreign court. This is not the will of the people and this is not a democratically elected thing. The court unanimously rejected the government's appeal against an earlier ruling that migrants could not be sent to Rwanda because it could not be considered a safe third country. And what that means is Paul Kigali, the guy who runs Rwanda, the president of Rwanda, is a wanted war criminal, (laughs) wanted on war crimes. Relation to the 1994 genocide. What a... What was... Paul Kigali is wanted by the International Criminal Court on on charges relating to the 1994 genocide. What is Bojo thinking? Well, apparently it's fine. Apparently it's fine. They got a piece of paper that that the the Sunak government went and got a piece of paper that said, yeah, it's fine. Here's Here's some stuff that says it's fine. Because we tried something similar mm. to that. Oh, I think Julie, this is under Julia Gillard's reign. Uh, she tried something with Malaysia, where um, Malaysia would take uh, a handful of our refugees and they would stay there or something. So, so currently what it is at the moment is that anyone who is intercepted by Australian border force gets yeah. sent to uh, Nauru, I think it is, either it's Nauru, Nauru. Or, or, Manus, or Manus Island in PNG. And yeah, that's uh, that's that's working out because it, I was gonna I was going to discuss the bribery scandal that's going on with the uh, with the Department of Home Affairs, but that hasn't quite made it onto the list for today. But yeah, um, so Britain's Supreme Court has ruled their third party country transfer program is kind yes. of uh, illegal. And then you've got Rishi Sunak saying he will introduce emergency legislation, but this okay. isn't an emergency. There's no need for an emergency set of legislation. And the biggest problem that you have here Uh is that it has no due process. Because your claim isn't heard in the UK. No assessment of your claim is made. You are simply scooped up and scooped off. Isn't this purely the model that they were trying to um, copy from Australia, was that you weren't even let in the country you were diverted to somewhere else and you weren't part, you weren't part of the legal system of the, U, well, in our case, Australia, but in their case, the UK. So what I'm a bit curious because I remember there was um, a plan to send everyone to floating detention centres on boats. Oh, yes, the Bibby Stockholm. Yeah, so what happened with those? Because I haven't heard They have Legionnaire's disease. Legionnaire's disease. So they had to evacuate everybody. Eight people went on it. It got Legionnaire's disease. They found Legionnaire's disease in the air ducts and everyone had to get off. So where did they get sent, though? Into the UK or did they get deported elsewhere? No, no, no. They were already in the UK. Oh, Technically, okay. and this is this is one of the differences. No, no, no. they between... were on British soil. They had landed in the UK. Yeah. They were, you know, wandering around, you know, parts of, you know, right. I think yes. it was uh, yeah. Devon going, yeah, in Plymouth. Oh, wow, De- yeah. Devon is a place to be. Because I mean, because that that also segues into the fact that we've just had a bunch of asylum seekers who've been in detention for, for quite a long time, and there's been a high court mm-hmm. decision that 
they yes. actually had to be let out of that detention, even though they were some of them were convicted criminals and wanting to be. Expelled. Yes, indeed. So I was going to say the difference. The difference with Australia's program was that back in the late nineties, Australia declared the mainland as the immigration zone. So mm. even if you made it to Christmas Island or let's say Fraser Island or whatever other island, you still weren't eligible. Did this include Tasmania? Well, I suppose theoretically it would, but I don't think anyone's come far enough south that it would include us. So basically you had to reach the mainland of Australia to be able to be eligible mm. for um, asylum seeker claims on in Australia. So anyway, anyway, so what's happened in the Australian High Court this last week and week and a bit is that the High Court has ruled that indefinite immigration detention is unlawful, which overturned a previous decision from 2004. Yeah. So what's happened is that a Rohingya man from, I think that that's uh, Burma, if I'm not mistaken, Burma. So basically um, he was in Australia. Uh, he couldn't go back to Burma for whatever reason. He couldn't go back to Burma. However, um, he wasn't granted asylum or a visa in Australia. So he was kept basically in immigration detention for the rest of his life, uh, essentially, because he can't come out and he can't go to, he can't go back. In no man's land, essentially. Yeah, but correct, correct. So what then happened is that the case, uh, his case was was the test case for immigration laws. Uh, what then happened is that the highest court, high court has said, no, you can't indefinitely detain people. That has then uh, allowed the release, I think, of 92 people from indefinite uh, immigration detention. But the problem is that some of those are. Uh, one of them is a Malaysian man who murdered a, a woman back in Malaysia. Um, he was released. Uh, there is a Lebanese uh, motorcycle gang uh, uh, boss who is over in Perth who was released. Um, yeah, there are some like very nasty people who have been released from Australia's immigration detention because they have failed character tests. Yeah. So here's the next thing. Why didn't Australia get its arse in gear and start processing these people? Because they failed character tests, so they they couldn't get a visa to legally stay in Australia because they had failed character tests. Why didn't they then exhaust the legal system after that occurred? So, yeah, I think the issue was Phoebe that they had been convicted of a crime in their own country. They uh -huh. had fled that country. I don't know whether or not their sentences had been had been served or not. They'd fled that country and then. Basically, it was acknowledged that if they returned to that country, they were in danger of losing their life. Yes, because what, one of one of the things of uh, detent of uh, our justice system is that you can't be sent back to a country if you have a reasonable prospect of being executed, yeah. which is yeah. some of that's played into the Julian Assange case as well. Yeah. Yes, don't get me started on that bloke. Don't get me started. Basically, this is how I understand it, and I might be wrong because I'm not a legal international law person, but my mm -hmm. understanding is that if you have been convicted of a crime in another country, that are you sentenced to being killed for that crime, mm -hmm. so convicted for death as as a death death sentence, and mm -hmm. you fled that sense. country and sought asylum in Australia, then they have, because we don't, we oppose the death penalty, we don't have the death penalty in Australia, mm -hmm. 
we can't therefore return you to that country because it's pretty much certain that you'll be sentenced to death. The problem is that you also don't satisfy the character test to come into Australia, which means that you're basically in no man's land, and that's where the contestations happened. Indeed, indeed. So after the uh, release of these people, they're now talking about um, ankle uh, ankle bracelet monitoring, uh, reporting requirements, um, yes, stuff like that. So the government has to... this, said, this is very reminiscent of what Britain tried to do post 9-11 with people it's suspected of being foreign national terrorism suspects. Yep. You could just intern somebody. Mm-hmm. If they were a foreign national terrorism suspect, you could just be imprisoned under yep. the Anti-Terrorism Crime and Security Act of 2001 that was passed in October of 2001 at the say-so of the Home Secretary. Just mm-hmm. signed a piece of paper and you were just signed into prison. Yep, yep. and you had, you had things like the Patriot Act as well and all this other yeah, l- legal bullshit, I think is the yeah. uh, nice word for it. Yeah. It's essentially the mismatch between the laws of different countries. So, mm-hmm. I mean... Theoretically, this is where I'm coming from it, if you had been committed of a crime in another country and you had served your sentence, so say you'd been sentenced to 10 years in prison or 30 years in prison Mm -hmm. or whatever it was, but you'd served your sentence and then you had fled that country to come to Australia, you may still have failed the character test. Mm -hmm. However... If you could prove that your life was in danger if you remained in that country for whatever reason, then they probably would accept you in on asylum yes. grounds, on you know that sort of thing. The problem is that if you've been sentenced to a crime for which the penalty is death, but you have not served a sentence, that's where it gets fraught. So in theory you would have to be then retried for that crime in Australia to serve a sentence to then either be accepted back in Australia or deported elsewhere. But no other country is going to accept you either because of the same basic principle. So, again, you're stuck in limbo. Yes, it's a shit fight, essentially. Uh, Speaking of shit fights, this this is a great segue. Liberal moderate Dave Sharma selected to take Maurice Payne's Senate seat. Ah, yes. Now, you shared this one, uh, Clancy, so tell us uh, tell us your thoughts. So, you know, this is interesting because Maurice Payne basically was, you know, told to F off. And, he was given um, the heave-ho, was he? Well, and he was told to F off, and now basically they have a limit. They have a lim- limited pool of candidates to now fill the seat, and unfortunately mm-hmm. the... You know, he sounds like he's the least underqualified. The the least unlikable. Yes, the least I, unlikable. Actually, Dave Sharma, I don't think he was too bad. He was he was nowhere near as Stuart Robert or Scott Morrison. Yeah, true. I mean, look, I think he he hoisted himself on his own petard. That was part of the problem. But yeah, I mean, compared to a lot of the other other candidates, he was probably the least. Uh, or the most innocuous of them, um, but you know that's not saying a lot. No, um, yeah. So Maurice Payne was the person whose office that uh, Bruce Lerman 
something happened in Maurice Payne's office and that led to a court case. Yes, a literal court case, which uh, is going on in Toowoomba. And apparently, uh, just trying to think, I did have this up as well, where Bruce Lerman, this is where the story is really coming out in the defamation trial that he's suing Channel 10 and Lisa Wilkinson for. So he's a, he is now getting grilled and it's cu- kind of coming out that he wasn't initially truthful uh, to the police. What a surprise. Yeah, what a surprise! Because there was there was um, discussion about he had conveniently left his keys and his swipe card in the office because he planned to, after going out drinking with Brittany Higgins and other other colleagues, that he was going to go back to he was going to go back to Parliament House to do work. Absolute nonsense. Let's go a little bit more lighthearted though. A little bit lighthearted is McDonald's <laughs> loot. I know. McDonald's loses legal bun fight with Hungry Jacks. Hey, Clancy, have you ever had a Big Jack? I don't eat a lot of takeaway food. And um, as you're probably aware, I've, I've boycotted all of those major takeaway chains for many years. Mm-hmm. I think the last time I ate McDonald's was probably over 15 years ago, and that was a coffee. Jeez, oh. um, okay. And I'm Hungry not Jacks? Sure how long it's been since I've eaten Hungry Jacks, so I don't actually recall. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, look, it's not food that A, agrees with me and B, that uh-huh. I like and C, that I would. It's not that good for you anyway. It really isn't. No, no. And I wouldn't say it's that economical either. Like the cost of it is just keeps going up and up and up. And for the yeah. same price as that, I could get some sushi or just make something myself. So anyway, a couple of years ago, uh, Hungry Jacks really decided to take it to McDonald's in terms of uh, food offerings, and so Hungry and appearance by the looks of things. Yes, so Hungry Jacks came out with a burger called the Big Jack, and you can see on the screen here that there are some similarities. It's two layer, two patties of beef, lettuce, cheese, onions, and some special sauce on a sesame seed bun. And it's three layers. So it's three pieces of bread. So you've got the top and the bottom of the bun, and then you've got the center piece as well, which is mm-hmm. both of them. Yep. And so McDonald's got their knickers in a twist and said, hey, you know, that looks substantially identical or deceptively similar to our, our burger. But mm-hmm. um, Justice Stephen Burley, uh, yeah. He he ruled on Thursday that the Big Jack is not deceptively similar to the Big Mac. He also found Hungry Jack's separate Mega Jack trademark was not deceptively similar to McDonald's Mega Mac. Mega Mac. But here's the other thing that I'm amazed at. I'm amazed that Burger King have not sued Hungry Jack as well. Hey, Phoebe, Over um, the logo. I, I do need to uh, make you aware of something that in Australia, Hungry Jack's has a licensing agreement with Burger King for distribution and sales. Yeah. So, ah, see, okay. one did not know that. But if you look at the logos, they're like yeah. the same. Yes, yes, because now there is a little bit of a story is that when Burger King came to Australia, a guy named Jack Cowan, who is a friend of Gina Reinhardt's, just by the by, uh, just uh, he brought the licensing agreement. Licensing, licensing agreement for Burger King to distribute uh, to franchise under the name Hungry Jacks. And then eventually Hungry Jacks brought out the Australian operations of Burger King. And so now Burger King is officially Hungry Jacks in Australia. Well, there you go. You learned something new. 
And so does our audience. Yes. It used to be that in Australia, um, I think New South Wales was the only state where it was called Burger King. So if you went from South Australia or Victoria or Queensland to New South Wales, hold on, what's this Burger King stuff? It's just like Hungry Jack's. But there are actually two two companies under the one umbrella competing for sales against each other. That's pathetic. It's interesting. Uh, it, the 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 world of corporate litigation is, uh, I think, is actually quite uh, quite but interesting. We, we, actually, we actually had something a little bit similar here in Tassie. So there was a company here in northern Tassie called mm-hmm. Target. Yes, yes. Because uh, Adrian was telling me about this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and in fact, it was owned by a, a, a friend of mine. Uh, oh. Well, not his grandparents. Okay, so it was owned yeah, by yeah. his grandparents. So, um, so yeah. So he'd already named this company. It was a. Sh- it was actually a shoe shop. And mm-hmm. It was called mm-hmm. Target. And then well, it wasn't until the multinational company actually tried to open up in Tassie, and they went, "Oh, there's this other shoe shop." called Target and they're taking our business and we need to sue them. Uh-huh. But, in fact, of course, the shoe, the shoe company pro- proved that they'd been using the name before Yes, Target, yep. the multinational company. So they were able to, you know, successfully counter sue, but they yep. ended up going into business anyway, so it sort of made no difference. Yeah. The other thing I love about uh, Tasmanian retail is that you have a liquor outlet called 911. Yeah, we do, yeah. But that's not just in Tasmania. I remember that being in New South Wales when I lived in New South Wales. I don't think that would do very well over in America. Yeah, no. that's not just – that's not exclusive to Tassie. Oh, I thought it was just Tassie because I've never seen it anywhere else. No. But, yeah, 11 Um, yeah, it's a, it's a liquor shop. And, like, the 11 in the logo looks like the Twin Towers. It's nine eleven. yeah. But yeah. they were around before nine eleven. Of oh. course, you know, the whole, the whole thing about – 9-11, the, the Twin Towers, was that, you know, the Americans have this very weird thing where they reverse the month and the day. I know. Those guys are idiots. So here it's the 11th of the night. That's 11-9, not 9-11. Indeed, indeed. So very weird. They're weird. Speaking they're yes, like in that. Britain, every time, if in Britain it was, we made life easier for them because, <laughs> you know, 7th of July. It's just 7, 7. We just made life easy for the Americans. <laughs> exactly. So speaking of bad food, uh, this is an interesting case you may not know about. So in Melbourne, uh, bittersweet court victory for I Cook Foods owners in Sluggate Listeria outbreak saga. Um, a little bit of backstory to this. So this guy on the left is Ian Cook, and on the on the right is his son. Ian Cook had a yep. food had a catering uh, business called I Cook Foods. Some of his clients were, I think, hospitals and aged care facilities. The Dandenong local council decided to open up a competing uh, a competing catering company in the name of providing uh, jobs to socially disadvantaged people and all, all that kind of stuff. What the reason it's called Sluggate was that a representative of the Dandenong City Council's uh, food, food health and safety, had allegedly planted a slug inside the factory of iCook Foods, which caused it to be, uh, I can say, shut down by the Dandenong City Council, and the guy in Cook eventually went out of business because. Brett Sutton, who you may remember from the COVID uh, daily reports, Brett Sutton shut down Ian Cook's business 
just on a whim because he'd received No, a- it wasn't on a whim. That's fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry. So, all a right. Supreme Court j- j- judge has ruled that the closure of a Melbourne catering business after a listeria outbreak was behind a decision to shut down iCook Foods. Nope, no, it wasn't- I'm sorry. So, I- all right, let, let me give you a little bit of background here. As sure. you're probably aware, I used to be in the public health unit in yep. New South Wales. Okay. Yep, yep. One of the primary one of the primary roles of the public health unit is investigating foodborne outbreaks of disease. Yes, yes. One of those foodborne diseases is listeriosis or mm-hmm. listeria. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So listeria is one of these diseases. It's a it's a, um, a pathogen that is on foods, and it's often spread in foods like. Fresh cuts, fresh cut salads and fruits and things like that. Okay. Yes. Yep. 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 Um. So, you may be aware that when you've got anyone who's got a uh, autoimmune disorder, um, is immunocompromised or who is pregnant, is usually warned away from eating salads, fresh cut um hams and seafood sushi all those sorts of things the reason for that is listeria is present in the environment Uh it's in the soil one of the vectors are things like slugs and snails such as what we have here on the screen such as has as we have here on screen so part of the reason when you treat any sort of foods, you have to wash them thoroughly. So there's yes. certain yep. protocols for washing salad stuffs like lettuce and tomatoes and cucumber and all that sort of thing, um, fruits, um, but also soft cheeses, you know, ham, meats, fish, whatever it happens to be. So they're <laughs> all basically, you know, areas where listeria is known to grow. The issue, though, with the listeria is that it is one of these infections that can hide out, right? Uh-huh. So you may have eaten the food weeks or even months before you actually become unwell from it. Really? That's interesting. Yes. So the problem is that you can have eaten the food uh-huh. and then it sort of, you know, fulminates away in your gut and then if your immune system is affected by one of these things so you know say you're on chemotherapy or if you've got a cancer or you're pregnant it can actually cross that barrier and then it will cause you problems so it's one of the leading causes of um miscarriage for instance yes okay um I had a client many, well, I had a case many years ago when I worked in public health where we actually had a gentleman who was a incredibly fit person and he do, he ended up dying of listeriosis, but it was secondary to him having a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it was only because he'd already had this immunocompromise that he then got listeriosis. Uh-huh. So we were tasked to actually identify where he got the listeriosis from. Yep. It's really hard to identify. Yeah. All right. The primary role of the public health unit any time this sort of happens is to go, we need to shut down any possible sources that this yep. infection may have come from mm-hmm. and yep. then work back. Yeah. Because you're trying to prevent an ongoing risk situation. 
No, I get, so I, get you, I totally get that. Yeah. So if you think you've identified that there has been an infection of this, you go, all right, well, we've got to work out where this has come from. But in the meantime, we need to shut down possible risks associated with this so that we're not causing any future infection. Yes. Yeah. Do you get it? Okay. I, I, so I get that. So however, in this trial. Yeah, the public health unit in every state has slightly different powers. Mm-hmm. But basically the way it works is that they actually have a power to impose a public health order yes. on any premises where they think that they may have identified an ongoing risk. Yep. And that no, includes I, shutting the business down until that risk is established. Yes, no, I, t- I totally all. get that. However, the yeah. justice did rule so that... So it wasn't on a whim. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't okay. On a whim. All right. Okay. All right. I'll take that. I'll take that back. But the justice did find that uh, Brett Sutton's order was invalid because the department failed to observe the requirements of procedural fairness. That's a different matter. But it wasn't on a whim. <laughs> okay. It wasn't on a. Maybe it was two whims. Two whims instead. So anyway. Well, um, no. No. Look, there was a reasonable basis for the suspicion. That they were unable to substantiate that basis is a different yeah. matter. That's a different thing. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, Ian Cook lost uh, lost his clients and had to lay off 41 staff as a, uh, yeah, as a... So, then what happened was uh, Dan Andrews ha- had resigned from Parliament and Ian Cook ended up running for that seat uh, for Mulgrave. And, yeah, he got, he got like, 25% of the vote. So, Labor mm. won that by-election, but sort of like with, like, a, a re- like a 15% swing against... Um, against uh, Labor and, yeah, I think like – so Ian Cook got like 20%, Labor got 50% and there was another guy who got like 25% and it was quite a quite an interesting uh, three-way tussle there. It was very interesting, yes, I'll grant you that. was indeed. Uh, speaking of interesting, this article came across, uh, across, my, across my way. Peter Dutton finally crosses the line in question time. Hmm. I thought I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think the I didn't think the line existed anymore, but apparently it does. Well, he's crossed a few lines in his time. The voice referendum wasn't his crowning glory, was it? No, but no. it took until Wednesday for Dutton to make the Prime Minister visibly incandescently angry. Dutton came into question time with a grab bag of issues and an unreasonable request rolled together in a motion he intended the government to vote against. His first concern was about the ex- extreme social disharmony and displays of alleged anti-Semitism that followed the Middle East crisis and called for Albanese to bring our country together. So basically, Dutton had tried to pass a motion in the lower house of parliament during question time that Anthony Albanese shouldn't be going to visit Xi Jinping and all that kind of stuff because he needs to stay home and make sure that anti-Semitism doesn't foster into something bigger. Good grief. Has Peter Dutton only just realised anti-Semitism is a thing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and here we go. Furious PM unleashes on Dutton's weaponizing of anti-Semitism. Um, here we go. Yeah, so P- 
Albo's accused Peter Dutton of weaponizing anti-Semitism. Um, well, he, he has. Here we go. He also accused Albanese of flying off overseas again with plan to attend. Uh, I would never. I never thought I would see in my lifetime a repeat of the horrific scenes we saw and read about during the course of the Second World War. Oh um, dear, it's not good. Yeah, it's um, something, something, something. But yeah, Sorry. so what? What? What a freaking. What a fraudulent human being. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that Dutton's time may be up before the next election. Yeah, Peter Dutton is not oh, going I to be really contesting. He won't be contesting the next election. He's going to have a... No. Um... China warns against, against provocation as Australian warship sails Taiwan Strait. Tell us more, Phoebe. It's exactly what it says on the tin. China doesn't like that, you know... <laughs> Australia is sailing between itself and the island of Taiwan. Down the, now, the I think narrow straits. I think, it's a... I think they're actually called freedom of navigation exercises. And a freedom of navigation is where like a country decides to send a warship through a like a hotly contested area and to say, look, we're allowed to do this. We're just exercising our right to, you know, go through international waters. Yep. Um don't <laughs> stop your bitching. Yeah, is which is what they're doing. Uh, which is, this has to be looked at in the wider context, though, because this is mm. clearly part of the provocations surrounding AUKUS. Yes. There's no other reason that mm. Australia needs to do it. America does it on a regular basis, and China is used to that. Why is Australia now doing it? Yeah. Well, say, like, in the US also, like, fly drones over, you know, other countries to get satellite pictures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is Australia going to start doing that? I used to work for a company that were, that made a component for the drones. How do you feel about that? Yeah. A job is a job. It paid well. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, look, the, the, the guns and the, and the planes and the drones are going to be made anyway. So it's like, well, yeah. This is very true. But this whole scenario does stem from what is effectively AUKUS. Mm-hmm. There's no other reason why Australia is now going to say, we're going to sail straight through the middle. Uh, and it does raise a more interesting question. Why was mm-hmm. this done at the same time he was meeting up with Xi Jinping in China. Do you think he was flexing his muscles going, look, we can do this as well and I'm going to shake your hand at the same time? That's an in- interesting way of looking at it. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I can say. It's a very interesting way of... Uh... Yeah. <sighs> look. So how do, you, how do you think it's all going to go? Because we've got AUKUS now. It's all been signed. Yeah. We've got provocations or freedom of navigation exercises, whichever side you're no. on. And we're yep. going to have what is effectively more of this in the Pacific Ocean. Because mm-hmm. last time out, we showed that the USA has recognized the sovereignty of the Marshall Islands. Not the Marshall Islands. Mm-hmm. No, UA. No, UA and... Um, Well, it's yeah. just interesting that this particular this particular thing comes after. Um, so Islands. you see here last week, no, you Canberra and the complained Islands. of yes, 
Canberra complained of an incident involving a Chinese warship and the same Australian Navy, Navy vessel in Japan's exclusive economic zone in which an Australian military driver was injured. And that came around the same time that Albo was meeting Xi Jinping. Yes. Wasn't that the Sonic, was that the sonic testing? It rings a bell. It rings a bell. Yeah, so I think what had happened was that there was Australian divers uh-huh. who were um, doing operations and at the and they'd been they'd issued a statement to say, "Hey, we're doing diving operations. Please hold off doing any other sonic testing." And the Chinese knew that this was happening and they did sonic testing and as a consequence the Australian divers were injured because it affected their ears underwater. Yeah, that's... Uh, does that sound yikes. right? That does sound about right, yes. That's uh, yikes. That's, um, but I would have thought that, yeah, China's stock in trade is more cyber cyber warfare rather than military warfare, but look... I think they, I think they fancy themselves as both. True, true. Um, however, it doesn't take China to wipe Australia off the map. It takes Bing. <laughs> really? It does. Does Australia? Yes. Does Australia exist? Bing says no, according to two sources. Should I? Two well, sources. Multiply yes. sourced. <laughs> Uh, well, the fact is that Australia doesn't really exist. Everything you have ever heard about it was made up, and any pictures of it you have seen were faked by the government. I'm sure you've uh, even talked to people on the internet who claim to be Australia. They are really secret government. Conspiracy theories. We Look, are I've, really I've, come across, I've, come, I've come across this online as well myself where someone has been deep in the conspiracy rabbit hole and has, yep. you know, done the whole flat earth, Australia doesn't really exist and the moon la- la- landing was faked thing. Yep. And I'm like, well, that's funny because I'm in Australia right now and I can assure you that it's perfectly real. You're just an actor! <laughs> that reminds Why me... the fuck would you bother? There is a person who interacts with our Twitter account who says that Queensland is a corporation, not a government or a state. Holy crap. So that's a, yeah. But I I do love this response. If Australia doesn't exist, does that mean I don't have to pay my bills? Woohoo! My taxes! So if Australia doesn't so, exist, yeah. is that why Optus had the power outage? Because it's not really there. Possibly, 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 possibly. But um, Phoebe, you had this thing about AI as well, where Baz Luhrmann yes. was kind of uh, a little bit worried about yes, it. Yes, it's Baz Luhrmann, though. So shall we just play the clip? Are, okay. we, are we taking the red pill? <laughs> we can. Any pill. I, I don't mind any pill. I personally am not frightened of AI. But absolutely, having worked with a very, very smart robot called Ada and had formed a relationship with her, she would tell you, and I agree, that we are way behind in terms of governance of AI. And what was fought for in terms of the unions in, in our world was exactly right when it comes to AI, absolutely. And I think we need to play catch up in all fields in terms of proper governance and understanding of AI, for sure. You know, I don't want in any way to, mi- to be mischaracterized. It's just that when it comes to 
mm, my own creative journey and AI, I think can be useful to do certain things. Because it does, one thing AI can't really do is be imperfect. There you go, you heard it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, so that's Baz Luhrmann, worried that, you know, AI is perfect and therefore it's a problem. So (laughs) he has a a, a valid point, though. Would this podcast become obsolete with AI? Could we be replaced by AI, as Baz Luhrmann alludes to? I would love to to see it try. I would love to see AI try to replicate, you know, the bad humour that we have. The three of us. Imagine an AI version of me. That would be really scary. True, true. That would be. Um, speaking of scary, Baslum's forehead looks very uh, toxed. I might, I might add. It does, doesn't it? Well, he wasn't moving his lips very much either. But yeah, <laughs> it is very interesting that what he says though about AI regulation. Yes. I mean, you work in the world of mm-hmm. computers, Damien. You mm-hmm. must come across artificial intelligence on a regular basis. So, does uh, what Baz Luhrmann says about the industry that he's in, which is the actors industry, the movie making industry, yep. bear true. To a point, yes. Um, like my uh, teenage son uses ChatGPT for some of his some of his assignments. Yeah, you know, he's already at that stage where like teachers have to look out for not just Wikipedia, but now um, ChatGPT and and Bard and any of the other um, like services. So it's um yeah it's it, it is interesting because like AI is very good at those repetitive tasks. However, when you need a I suppose when you need a judgment to be made, and I remember like what was it? There was I think. Years ago, there was there was a claim that Google was racist because yeah. the algorithms so, were tuned were tuned yeah. for white people and not for black people. And so, when black people were like, for example, um, uh, facial recognition and all, all that kind of stuff, well, actually, that reminds me. There's been cases in America where black people have been wrongfully arrested because the the AI and the facial recognition made it look like someone else. And so, yeah. Yes. I hear some uh, clacking, clacking away there. So, yes, I will send you this very quickly, which is on this very topic. No worries. But just speaking of AI, um, there was a very brief uh, thing that happened this week where, so OpenAI, who are the creators of ChatGPT, the guy who ran that, uh, Sam Altman, he went to work for Microsoft but then all the people at OpenAI kind of kicked up a stink about it and basically forced him to return back to OpenAI. Yes, which was very odd. I thought that was... Uh... He was kicked off the board because he wasn't candid with them. And they were like, yeah, go mm. away, go away, go away. And then all the investors were like, no, we want him to stay. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, that is horrible. That is horrible. <laughs> Can, can I can I just ask though? Has either of you actually used ChatGP? Yes, I have. No, me what not did really. You think of it? Um, it 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 can be fooled very easily. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, it can be. Um, I haven't really used it. I, I just find if you know how to use Google, you can get you get better answers quicker. Yes. Um, yeah. But this is an now. example of what I was looking for in relation to artificial intelligence. Would you like to let everyone know what this is on the screen, Damien? <laughs> New Zealand passport robot tells applicant of Asian descent to open his open eyes. Uh, the photo you want to upload does not meet our following criteria. Subject's eyes are closed. But you can clearly see that you know the, the gentleman is Asian. Uh, Asians do tend to have fairly thin eye, eye profiles, which can make it look like they're closed or almost closed. And the robot has gone, no, nah, mate, you've got to open your eyes. <laughs> wow. Which is uh, yeah, kind of um, the example of algorithms not understanding that you know the three of us are mm -hmm. not representative of the whole world. No, no, mm. that's, uh, but that is that was in New Zealand, which isn't a million miles away from the subject matter. Either of us. No, no, indeed, indeed. But it does make you wonder where does AI go in the end? Because I remember I remember robots playing chess as the big thing, like yes. Deep Blue, yeah. for example. that was that one guy. Deep Blue and the games against um, Bobby Fischer. Mm. Ah, yes, that was... Uh... The famous games against the Bobby Fischer did in Iceland for money. For money. Because he was... Um, desperate to get any money any way he could because he was on a US sanctions list because he had gone and played oh. a game of chess in Yugoslavia. Oh, minor, minor detail. <laughs> All that over a game of bloody chess. Absolute oh, madness. Well, look, maybe... well, wasn't, wasn't, that the, uh, wasn't that the accusation to that other young guy that got accused of cheating at chess? Was that he was... He was using Hans Niemann. Hans, Hans yeah. Niemann... Yes, uh, was, right. it wasn't, wasn't just signs. It was apparently a, um, a a particular implement that is inserted in the We're rectum. Sending him vibrations yes, or right. something. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So he offered to play in the nude as uh, mm. to prove a prove a he point. He offered to play in the nude while standing. Yes. So to prove, um, so what's happened? There's a resolution to that though, where all allegations of cheating have been uh, revoked, and Hans and Eamon is now allowed back on the Chess.com uh, circuit. That's right. So that has been uh, has been resolved. But speaking of things that have been resolved, um, Australia climate change activists disrupt shipping at Coalport. This is your part of the world, uh, or near your part of the world, anyway. Um, Fancy. Clancy, or your former part of the world, I should say, because this is a Newcastle, uh, not so much Wollongong, but Newcastle. Oh, yeah, no, I was, I, I lived in Wollongong. I never lived is... in Newcastle. Ah, okay, but so yeah. yeah, Wollongong South, Newcastle's North. That's right. But there were yeah. about, um, let me see if I can find. But there were like two or three hundred people on kayaks in the port of Newcastle, blocking off uh, all the all the boats coming in. Oh, okay. Port protests. Let me see if I can find. Ah, right, here we go. This is okay. Check this out. That is quite impressive. Have a look at that. The, that is really the, all these people on on kayaks. You know, I'm not saying that I'm agreeing or disagree with the protest, but having that number of kayaks in, you know, 
Newcastle Harbour. Mm-hmm. It's very impressive. Look, it's, it's actually it's actually very lovely there. We were there for the National Band Championships in ESA. I'd not. I'd, I've been to Newcastle a couple times before, and they do have very lovely beaches. I've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So you can see here, there's a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of people uh, protesting. Uh, here we go. This might be yeah. Look at all that. That that is actually yeah, a sizable um yeah a sizable uh yeah bit of a, a a convoy I guess or a flotilla. A flotilla. Yes. Flotilla of human beings. Uh yes. So that there. Um, yeah, what else did we what else did we have in our list? Ah, oh, uh Phoebe, you sent me you also sent me uh this here. I did. This will this will sure this will surely raise Clancy's I, I, This is an old this is an old favourite, this one, Clancy. So yes, Australia's hundred wealthiest schools earn four point eight billion dollars in twenty twenty one. Data has yeah, revealed. Well, I'm sorry, but they should all be shut down. An uh-huh. oldie but a goodie, this one. But about seven hundred sixty-seven million of that came from government funding, which is, of course it did. Which is, you know, not an insignificant amount of money. Which is nearly like no, no, no a lot of money. It's disgusting, disgusting. Yeah, it's, uh, which is nearly a whole, which is nearly, you know, a sixth of all of the money that they got. Mm, yeah, indeed, exactly. Indeed. I'm and, sorry, and this but is... all all fit, all private schools should be defunded immediately, and all those funds should go to public schools. I'm sorry, they just uh, they literally should not be getting any public funding at all. Zero, zilch, nothing. Mm-hmm. Defund them. If parents want to send their kids to those schools, they can pay the whole fucking cost of it. <laughs> None of it should be subsidised, and all of that money should go to public schools to educate everybody. It's like, but here's what it says. That's my position, and I'm not changing it. Here's what it says about Macquarie Grammar School in Sydney. It received the highest funding per student at $60,000. Holy shit. $60,000 a student for $3.6 million in total, and only... Two point yeah. nine million of that came from its revenue. Look, there was actually a survey done recently here in Tassie about something similar, and they were actually surveying parents about the fact that more parents are now sending their children to private Christian schools and mm-hmm. colleges here in Tassie than they are to public schools. The reason for that is bloody obvious: is because they're funding the private schools better. And they're not funding the public schools and those public schools are suffering as a result. And, of course, the education that they're delivering to their students is suffering as a result. So, of course, the parents are turning around going, well, we'll send our kids to a private school even though it's going to cost us through the nose because Mm -hmm. they'll get a better education. It's a deliberate ploy by the Liberals to defund public education. I'm sorry, it's fucking obvious. And anyone who doesn't see that is a moron. If you well, send your child to a private school, you are buying into that system. Demand that your government funds public schools and mm-hmm. don't fund private schools. Get rid of mm-hmm. private education altogether. 
fund public schools properly and it will solve the issue. I have a revelation here. I have a revelation here. Oh, yes. I was yes. privately educated from day one. Toffee. And did it do you any good, Phoebe? Yeah, look at me now. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I was publicly educated my whole education. What was it? Was and it a I single? Was it a single? Quite well, and I've done quite well, thank you very much. Was it a single sex school, Phoebes? No, it's co-education. Ah, okay, okay, oh, fair enough. But no, Clancy, you were saying you were publicly. So I was all. I was always sent to a public school. Okay. I went to a, you know, took my. I put myself through university. In fact, mm-hmm. okay, because I wasn't living at home. I put myself through high school for for year 11 and 12 because I was living out of home. I wouldn't have been able to do that without public education. Quite literally, I would not have been able to do that without public education. And I got a very good education, thank you very much to my teachers. Uh And I'm sorry, but I do not believe that the private education system deserves to be funded, especially if they are running on a platform of religious education. We should not be condoning any sort of religious education in our public system. It should not be subsidised, full stop. We are a secular nation and any sort of religious education has no place in a secular nation. If you want your child educated in a religious tradition, you can fucking do it at home. And that's what America seems to do fairly well, the uh, homeschooling industry. Homeschooling industry in the United States is booming. Yep, and that's the problem. But moving moving on from that. From one uh, screw-up to another screw-up to We on this this channel do cover some very heavy topics. And this is going to be well, last, another heavy topic because last week because we... last what last last episode we covered um, women being murdered by domestic by intimate partners. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is also uh, worth covering as well because I saw this across my feed. Uh, one in ten Australian men report having sexual interactions with under 18s Study finds, which is yeah, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. And the same study finds nearly one in six men over the age of 18 had sexual feelings towards under-18s. And that is pretty shocking. It is pretty shocking. Because it's a little bit like like the the stuff that we find out about is pretty bad, but what the stuff that we find out about is only like the tip of the iceberg. For... Look, it's shocking, but it's not surprising. It reminds me of the British... It reminds me in Britain, we have something called the British Crime Survey. And we have mm-hmm. reported crimes to the police. Reported crimes to the police mm-hmm. are always significantly lower than the British Crime Survey because mm-hmm. they estimate that between 50 and 60% of all criminal activity in the United Kingdom is not reported to the police for a variety of reasons, from people don't want to bother with it to they don't trust the police to they don't believe that they were actually a victim of crime. But these are the discrepancies in these things. And yes. these kinds of things are 
things that we're becoming well, more aware of as society evolves, particularly yes, when... Yes, it... I think it's good to actually get this out so that we are aware and that we can actually, you know, if you don't know, you can't do anything about it. Yes. So it's very much along the lines of the intimate partner violence and domestic abuse mm-hmm. lines that have been pushed. They are very uncomfortable for some people. Some people are very, very uncomfortable by having these discussions in public. But the only way how you can ever change these things or even begin to recognise their existence is to start discussing these things in public. And what do you do yep. about these things is the next question. Uh, I I agree. Fun... You, have, you have to name it up, up so that you can actually do something about it. Yeah. Yep. But th- this, th- these couple of paragraphs uh, caught my attention. The University of New South Wales research found two distinct cohorts of child sex offenders, one which is motivated by sexual interest in children and a second group who may be offending for situational or opportunistic reasons. It also revealed the existence of a large group of undetected men who Salter called specialist offenders, otherwise pro-social, well-liked, high-status men who repeatedly groom and then abuse children without detection. The study showed they tend to have high incomes, are more likely to be married, and more likely to work in a field giving them access to kids. And then this one here, we have commercial products that are actively facilitating child sexual exploitation. And that is, yeah. It's scary, isn't it? It is. And this this also goes back to the AI question because mm. AI has been reported to have led to nefarious actors pushing mm. what are unlawful images, shall we say? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Mm. And there has been unlawful. an explosion in unlawful images created through artificial intelligence uh yes and i will say that there are there are websites that you can go to that can you type in a few key words and it will generate a fairly lifelike image of you know someone in without clothes on in a sexually provocative position which is and there aren't and there aren't many restraints about the types of keywords you can use to uh yeah and I think Australia is grappling with this. I think a lot of Mm -hmm. other countries around the world are grappling with this. United States is definitely grappling with this. Where, and I think that what we're seeing in the United States particularly, and in parts of Australia in particular, is that there is a backlash against Mm -hmm. talking about these things. Such as when we... And that's part of the reason why it's it's driven underground too mm. because a lot of people who are perpetrators of this sort of thing there's a big part of that is the shame that's associated with it yeah and if they're not aware if they're not aware that there is treatments available for instance or that there are you know they can actually go and speak to someone about that yeah then it makes the whole cycle worse. And pedophilia uh-huh. is a recognised psychiatric illness. Is it? Yes, 
it is. Okay. This is part of the problem. Ped- so pedophilia, part of my. So let let me elaborate here. Okay. Is pedophilia itself is not actually abusing children. The word pedophilia means that you are sexually attracted to underage people. Okay, so let me just make a little distinction here. So there is a cohort of people who suffer from pedophilia. Okay, so they are attracted to children. They cannot help this. This is just something that happens to them that they cannot actually help. They can't help that they are attracted to children. What they mm-hmm. can help is acting on that attraction. Uh-huh. All right? So a pedophile in itself doesn't actually mean that they abuse children. It means that they are attracted, sexually attracted or excited by underage So, people. However, in a social context, the, the, the it's kind of one Except, of the same anyway. So the yeah. usage of it has come to mean that a pedophile is a person that abuses children. Yes. The problem is that when you look at it that way, the majority of people that actually abuse children are not pedophiles in the true sense of the world. It's a situational thing. Often people who abuse young people and children are not actually attracted to those young people and children sexually, Mm -hmm. and it is not a pathology. It is something opportunistic, okay? So there's a distinction that you have to make here. Mm. The problem that arises, of course, is that when you do have people who have this pathology, who are truly pedophiles, who are attracted, sexually attracted to young people, Mm -hmm. they then won't seek treatment for that, all right, because of the The they're going to be labelled and they're going to be pigeonholed and yep. it's going to be assumed that they've acted on those yes. clivities, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily the case. So there's, it feeds into the, the issue. So then you have this whole underground of people who, you know, they, they cloister themselves then it all becomes... They, they use unregulated networks. They, yeah, there are ways... The dark web, exactly right. router, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly yes. right. And there's an argument to say that the use of AI is mm-hmm. them trying to actually control these urges in a way that's actually not harming real children. Which is a really weird, right? uh, really weird argument to make. Well, when you look at it, if you if you have a look at it in other contexts, for instance, there's some very, very weird behaviours that there's a lot of going on in that sort of AI context, say um, certain obsessions in AI, for instance, in Japan specifically, with alien sex oh, yes. stuff, okay? Yeah. So... Yeah. You could argue you could argue that this is entirely in people's imagination, but they're generating these AI aliens that commit sex acts on them. It's not actually hurting anybody. It's or, imaginary. Uh, it's entirely or, in their imagination. Uh, or as I say, sex dolls. Um, I've read sex of dolls people. Are not, yeah, look, and look, people even go as far as bloody marrying their sex dolls. <laughs> I have read about that. Yes, that is. Uh... You know. But it's it's a psychological issue. This is the thing. It's a psychological issue. It's obviously these people have some pretty 
deep-seated issues that they need treatment for. And probably... The problem is, of course, that people have this natural disgust, mm-hmm. you know, this visceral, this visceral reaction mm-hmm. to people yeah. having these things. Yeah. And some of that may be, you know, in fact, a bit of transference because they might have that themselves and so they have a visceral disgust towards other people that have it. Mm -hmm. But it feeds into this shame cycle. So the people that have it then don't seek treatment for the problem or, you know, talk to anyone about it and it just sort of buries it and it makes it a cycle. So this is like... You know, this is interesting because I think that we do need to speak about this stuff. It's the same way that, you know, for instance, kids were brought up in very strict strict Christian households who were shamed about really basic things like masturbation, for instance, (laughs) Mm -hmm. get into a negative cycle about, oh, I touch myself, I'm a bad person, I have these thoughts, I'm a bad person. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it just creates this cycle where they may think about it more and more and more and more, and guess what? They end up actually making it worse and committing the offence that they think that they've. Yes. You know, yeah. That's uh. Yes. Anyway, that is a that's pretty heavy. It um, is. It's, look, it's co- it's a complex issue, and it, it it's, is. It feeds into an area that I'm sort of you know have worked in before with addiction mm. because it's that same sort of. Negative feedback, I guess, with people yep, who become yep. ashamed of thoughts and then it just makes it worse. It does indeed. It does indeed. Anyway, do we have any uh, fun news to end on? Well, I, this, I do uh, always enjoy bringing up the most wonderful and favourite things that Clancy always loves, and that is that I don't know how you did it because you started off in the doldrums, but somehow you managed to do the impossible. You went I to India. Who? You, a country oh. called Australia, went to India. Oh, yes. And you people, you Australian people, how you did it is beyond me. Because is this India, a sport thing? Because India were incredible throughout thing. that entire tournament. I mean, India were, they yep. blew the opposition away until the final. And then along came Australia. Mm-hmm. After week one so, and week two of the games, I'd written you off. I'd written you off. Yeah, I'd written we, you we've, off like we've England. We'd written us off as well. I'd written you off like I'd yes. written England off. But yes. so what? What Phoebe's trying to say is that Australia won the the one day World Cup, the fifty over cricket World yeah, Cup. Yeah, I vaguely heard that. Somewhere I couldn't quite chat, bring so. myself to you know admit that you had you know taken the crown from us. The English, the inventors of the game. Yeah. But it was a, uh, I think, uh, what was his name? Um, not Glenn Maxwell, who scored like 200 on one bad leg. Something absurd, yes. Something absurd, yes, yes. So there's that. Uh, Classy, give us some good news for the week. Good news. Um, well, what's, what's happening this week in, in your, your part of the world before we wrap up? I have no idea at the okay. moment. Well, you got a week, uh, off, um, you got a week off work? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've hey, been off sick. You know, I don't know. What's Fair going on? How are you doggos, clients? Yeah, look, they're pretty good. Um, Diablo, who you met, um, he's turning 15 next month. 
Holy sh! Wow. He's 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 still going. He's he's pretty he's pretty cool. Um, what else has been happening? Yeah, the animals are all good. Mm-hmm. Um, my 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 renovations are almost complete. There we mm-hmm. go. My house has been clad. I'm about to get my deck done this week. Um, yeah, that's about it at the moment. Okay, fair enough. But I would um, like to. I would like to. I would like to end not on not on the nine eleven bottle shop, but on a certain video from my neck of the woods that should give everybody a giggle. Whatever picture you have in your mind of senior living, I don't know. It may be time to revise it. We want things to be full of life. We want to empower the residents to thrive. At Story Point Saline, a retirement and assisted living facility, they're aiming to show the world there's liveliness in senior living. We um, kind of pride ourselves on out of the box, kind of wonky, weird programming in a way. So when Erin Griffiths, Life Enrichment Director, promised a snow-filled day of fun in January, she was disappointed because, well, it didn't snow until the very end of the month, so it kind of derailed everything. Until Erin and her team figured out an indoor solution, thanks to some brain power, snow tubes, and scooters. Oh, that is, yes, that is awesome. For seniors. Well, when uh, they first brought the tube over, I said, you know, if I get down there, I'm not going to be able to get up. But everyone did indeed get back up, and the video of the indoor shenanigans went viral on social media, with nearly 10 million views and counting on Facebook alone. I had people I haven't talked to in ages say, on my Facebook say, hey, we saw you tubing, this is wonderful. It's that kind of fun that Aaron says helps people realize their perception of senior living might be wrong. So now it's cool to have this platform to show what senior living is really about. The residents tell me the staff collaborates with them in activities. They say they're always tickled to find out what's coming next. I'm Alex. Very cool. There you go. Well, there you go. When when uh, when I get old, I'll ask my wife to put me in a uh... Retirement village in a, yeah, on a snow tube. Exactly, exactly. But until next time, Phoebe, you look after yourself. Clancy, you get better and enjoy the rest and of your... And uh, enjoy yourself uh, too. Convalescence. Bye, everybody. So and until next time. Bye. Let's say, Let's say the, the Governor General. The Governor General. Oh. And his apparent concerns over anti-Semitism. This is very true. Oh, yeah. And that. In history's page, let every state advance Australia fair. In joyful strains, then let us sing, advance Australia fair.